Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, we covered the first six verses of chapter 3 last week. Um, Josh walked us through uh, Jesus being a better Moses. And so you can go back and listen to that podcast. He did an incredible job. But so far in the book of Hebrews, we have seen this idea, this, this contrasting Jesus with uh, so many other parts of religious life, the religious life of the Jews. So we saw that Jesus is a better prophet. Jesus is a better priest. Jesus is a better king. Uh, we saw through chapter two that Jesus was better than the angels. And then last week we saw Jesus as a better Moses. And I want to tease that out just a little bit because it's pertinent to the passage today. Um, Moses was revered by the Jews because he was a vital part of their history. So y'all remember Moses, right? Um, you probably saw the movie. He, he, he went in and he rescued them. He was their deliverer. Um, Moses delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And uh, uh, Josh went into detail about the plagues and about their deliverance. They crossed through the Red Sea and did not get wet. And, and then what we saw is they entered into this 40 years of preparation, 40 years in the wilderness, and we'll hear about the wilderness today as we move through the passage, but Moses also gave them the construct of the law. Remember, he went up on Mount Sinai, uh, God wrote down the Ten Commandments on these tablets. He, as he went down, he saw they're dancing around a golden calf. He got angry, he smashed them, God rewrote them. And then we saw as they were moving around in this uh, 40 years of preparation, a cloud by day a fire by night that God was uh, really teaching them how to follow him and gave them the, the construct of the law. If you read the Bible through in a year, you hit Leviticus. That's like the, that's like the, where, you know, people that read the Bible through in a year go to die, right? Leviticus. So maybe you've been stuck there for the last five or six years. Man, just press through. It'll be good. Um, get to numbers, more of the same. So uh, uh, at the end of the day, Moses is shown honor as a faithful executor of his calling to rescue his people and to give them the law. But Jesus is a better Moses. Why? Because what we've seen since chapter one, he is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. Remember last week, uh, they, they, they held Moses in high honor because he was faithful in all of God's house. But then they said, but Jesus is the one who built the house. Because Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. And while Moses gave them the law, Jesus is the full embodiment of the law. Remember in Matthew 5, 17, when he came and he said, hey, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. He is the fulfillment, the completion, the filling up of the law. And that's why when you receive Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus and you receive him, you are receiving the fullness of the law inside of you. You couldn't keep the law on your best day. Some of you, all, all of you rule followers, man, you can follow most of the rules most of the time, but you have a ceiling on your ability to be obedient. Amen. That's why you need Jesus. For you rule breakers, man, you really need Jesus. But we've all got a gap in our lives. And so while Moses received and passed on the law, just like the angels in chapter two, remember they were simply messengers. They were conduits uh, to bring a message from God and Moses was the same. Moses was just a messenger bringing a message. But Jesus, the better Moses, 
Jesus, the true deliverer, Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the exact representation of the Father. That if you want to know what God looks like, he puts skin on. We call it the incarnation. Flesh and blood, God became flesh and his name is Jesus. A complete deliverer because he offered a better sacrifice for all sin for all time. That's the picture of the cross. All sin, all time. So the key transition phrase I want to grab onto today is the last part of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. In the last part of that verse, he says, we are his house if we indeed hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. If we hold firmly, hold firmly. So if you, if you remember back in uh, Hebrews 2, uh, verse 1, the author tells us to pay careful attention so we don't drift away. And remember, we talked about this whole idea of Jesus being an anchor, that we needed to anchor. And I told you that story about Lake Conroe, about dropping the anchor with no rope. Um, if it's not tied to anything, it's worthless. Amen. And here as we move forward into chapter 3, this is more anchor theology. He's saying, listen, we've got to hold firm to Jesus. Hold firm to our confidence and hope in which we glory. Why? So you don't drift. So you don't drift away. So um, as, as my kids were growing up, we used to go to Destin every year. Anybody been out on 30A? You know, any of those beaches. And um, I, I love to sit by a pool and look at the beach, right? There's something really cool about seeing the beach off in the distance and going, man, that is so beautiful. But, but inevitably, my kids want to play at the beach. And so we would have to go down to the beach and get, you know, sand in all the places. But we, we get down to the beach. And uh, if I'm going to be down at the beach, I want to be in the water. And so you go in the water and you go out uh, as far as you can where the waves are breaking. You know, for some of you, you can go further out than I can because, you know, it's like here. Um, but, but you get out there and there's something really fun about it. As the waves are breaking, you just kind of let it take you, Right. And you, you, you jump on that wave and you try to get it to carry you all the way back to the shore. And, and so out there playing with my kids, inevitably I look up and we're a quarter of a mile down the beach from where we started, right? Where all our stuff is, where our umbrella is, where our drinks are, where all of our stuff is, where Yvonne is, because she'll never get in the water. Um, <laughs> and so what do you do? You have to get out, you have to walk back down the beach, and then you start over again. But there's something powerful about that current, right? That as soon as your feet get off the ground, you are subject to the current. And if you get out too far, there's a thing called the undertow. And that will flat take you out to sea. If you're not paying attention, the undertow is strong. It's so strong that it can sweep your feet out from under you. So... The undertow and the current of our culture is so strong today with currents of compromise that are seeking to drag you away from the truth of who God made you to be and what he's called you to do. And again, what's the antidote for that? Jesus. Jesus, if he's not your anchor, if he is not the thing that you're anchored to, if he is not the thing you're tethered to, just know you may be drifting and not even know it. So let's look at this passage starting in verse seven. We're gonna go through the end of the chapter. But starting in verse seven, uh, just this first phrase, so as the Holy Spirit says, we're gonna pause right there. So, as the Holy Spirit says. So the author opened the book. Remember in Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, he, he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through who? The prophets. So in the past, he spoke to the prophets. Verse two, he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through who? His son. He's spoken through his son. So he says, in the past, he spoke through prophets. Today, he has spoken through his son. And that's where we get this idea of Jesus being the better prophet. That in the past, he spoke to the prophets, but now he, he is speaking as the better, final, authoritative prophet. He is the one who is speaking to you about you, about your past, your present, and your future. But now, 
In chapter three, he acknowledges that the Holy Spirit speaks. Look at what he says. So as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit can't say without speaking. He's not a mime, he's not a mute. In fact, uh, I think about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Now, maybe you've grown up in a stream of faith. Maybe your Trinity looks more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Maybe when you think about the Spirit, it kind of freaks you out, right? In some cultures, um, he's called the Holy Ghost, which is either a little spookier, right? And so a lot of us, when we start uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, it takes us into places that make us uncomfortable and we don't really wanna talk about him because he's kind of like the drunk uncle of the Trinity, right? I mean, when, when he starts moving, you're a little unsure of how it's all gonna work out. Is that okay for me to say? I guess I already said it. All right. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus that resides in every person that says yes to Jesus. So let me demystify it for you. When you said yes to Jesus, how many of you have prayed and said, Jesus, I want you to, to be the leader of my life? How many of you have prayed that? Yeah, a lot of people in the room. So when you said that, the spirit of Jesus came to live in you. And now that is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're all the same. Different personalities and different functions of the Godhead, but all one God. And so the Holy Spirit reveals to every believer the nature and character of God he convicts you of sin. He's constantly drawing you in to deeper intimacy with God and confirming the calling that has been placed on your life. And the author confirms, he says, which means he speaks. He speaks. That is present tense, y'all. That is not something that happened. It's something that happens. Now, how does he speak? Well, for some, he may speak in a still, small voice. He may speak in a nudge, in a situation that, that you just feel compelled to move in a certain way. I don't know how he speaks to you. I just know that the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit speaks. Now remember, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit a lot in John chapters 14 and chapter 16. It's the night before he's crucified, he's up in the upper room and, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's explaining who the Holy Spirit is because they really weren't sure. And look in John 14, verse 25, he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will what? Remind you of everything I've said to you. So imagine you've got the disciples that are in the upper room. They have been drinking from a fire hydrant for three years. They're life on life with Jesus. They've watched him heal. They've heard parables. They, they've, they've heard his teaching. Uh, they heard the Sermon on the Mount for the first time. They were the ones that were sitting there and heard it firsthand. So they've just been taking all this in. And, and Jesus is like, hey guys, I don't want you to worry. When I go away, I'm sending an advocate. And what's he gonna do? He's gonna remind you of everything I've told you. Don't worry about it. For a lot of us, we're scared to death that we're gonna forget something that Jesus has told us, to forget something that we've read. And have you ever read anything and then forgotten what you read? How many times have you like read the same three or four lines on the page? And you're like, I can't hold my concentration. Well, know this, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that Jesus has said and wants to say to you. Yes, amen. He's the advocate. He'll teach you and remind you. Now, if you flip over to John 16, he jumps back into this narrative about the Holy Spirit and starting in verse seven, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Let's pause right there. How can it possibly be good for Jesus to go away? So here's how I want you to orient your thought. God the Son, 
fully God, but fully man, one guy. So just imagine, even in this room, in a room uh, uh, of 300 plus people, if Jesus were standing here right now, how hard would it be for you guys in the back to get up and be close enough to, to touch Jesus? That'd be pretty difficult, right? And so this whole idea, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm one guy. I have to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and universally fill every person that says yes. So he's saying it's very good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And then look, verse eight. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say now than you can bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will be made known to you. And all that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So let me just kind of tell you real quickly, this is how the spirit works. The spirit always points to Jesus. Yes. Jesus says it right there. The spirit won't speak on his own. He'll only say what I tell him to say. But what did he say over and over about himself? I only do and say what the father tells me to say and do. So the spirit always points to Jesus. Jesus always points to the father. What a beautiful picture of how they work together. This mutual deference, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working together, and guess what? Working together on your behalf. Yes, amen. That's pretty cool. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. Yes. The person of the Holy Spirit always revealing Jesus. So let's keep moving. So it says, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the spirit says, and then what does the author do? He quotes Psalm 95, seven through 11. That's interesting that he says, the Holy Spirit says, and then out of him flows this passage of scripture. So what does that tell you? tells you and me that the primary way the Spirit speaks is through his word. He reminds us of his word. Um, I've got a group of guys that were memorizing scripture together and, and I've told them, hey, listen, I don't want you to memorize scripture for memorization's sake. I want you to memorize scripture and meditate on it so that you can be transformed. The goal of knowing the word of God is that it gets in you. And when it gets in you, it can change you. Have you heard that before? I pray it every week before we go into the message. The word of God is living and active. And that is the living and active nature of the word of God. Unfortunately, we're, we're probably the most biblically illiterate culture on the planet. If I ask you right now, hey, raise your hand if you know a passage of scripture, um, maybe two thirds of the room would raise your hand and I would say, not John 3, 16. Most of you would put your hand down. And unfortunately for a lot of you, you would start quoting John 3, 16 and then you would go off track at some point. And those of you that say, oh, I know a scripture, you would start quoting it and then I'll say, where's that found? In the Bible? Where? in one of the Testaments, right? I mean, and, and, and we, we, would, we would go into it because here's the truth of the matter. For, for a lot of us, man, maybe you grew up in the church and, and maybe Bible memory was your thing and so maybe you know a lot of scripture and if that's you, the question is, how is it transforming your life currently? 
But for a broader cross-section, I would say that you probably don't know a lot of scripture, you've heard it somewhere, and you can randomly quote thoughts, you know, like let your conscience be your guide, which is not in the Bible, that's Benjamin Franklin. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we, we, we're quoting things, but we don't know where they're found. The goal of, of knowing the Bible, of not just memorizing it, but meditating on it, it's for your transformation. Because here's the beautiful thing, whatever you're going through in life, there is something that speaks to it in God's word. And when you're sitting at coffee, having a conversation with somebody, when it is in you, it will come out of you at the appropriate time. The Holy Spirit will bring it up at the appropriate time for someone else's good. How cool is that? That is the nature of God. And it's happening right here with the author. He's quoting Psalm 95, verses seven through 11, and he's quoting it, really defining for them what was going on. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So who is he speaking to there? Remember, this is a, a group of people, Jewish believers that were falling away from their faith. That's who this book is written to. They're people that formerly lived in the Jewish system, the sacrificial system, the system of the Jewish law. Now they're following Jesus and he's like, hey, listen, you're falling back into some old patterns, some destructive patterns. You're trying to add to what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't fall away. Don't harden your heart. So here's the question. What does today mean? Today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a trick question. What does today mean? Today. Does it mean tomorrow? No. Does it mean yesterday? No. It means today. And he says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So what it meant to them is, hey, I'm not just talking about your ancestors. I'm saying this is for today. And guess what, 2,000 years later, this is for today. Today means today. In your life, it means right here, right now. Yes. So uh, if, if you came today at some sort of intellectual pursuit, man, lay that down and now open your mind and your heart because God wants to say something to you today in the right here and the right now. And he says, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. He's bringing it to the forefront of the current culture. And he says here, man, God showed his favor, his faithfulness to them for 40 years and they continued to rebel. And what was his response? They shall never enter my rest. Now, contextually, he was talking about the land of promise. If you were with us when we walked through the book of Genesis, uh, God made a promise to Abraham that he was gonna bless him and he was gonna give him. He would be the father of many nations. He would give him more descendants in the sands, on the seashore, the stars and the sky, and he was gonna give him this promised land. And so when he's talking about entering into rest, he's talking about entering into their, their land of promise. And he says, those that rebel, they just don't get to enter into rest. Now, you move forward, this letter, Hebrews, was written roughly around 70 AD, which if you do the math, was about 40 years after Jesus had been crucified, after the resurrection, after the ascension. And so now he's taking this past tense, these 40 years in the wilderness, and he's saying, hey, listen, here's another 40-year period we can talk about. Today, don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, don't drift away. Jesus is still better. He's just told them he's a better Moses. You're wanting to drift back into an old way of thinking. Yeah, Moses was great. Moses was awesome. Yay, Moses. Jesus is better. For you today, Jesus is better. He's better than any pursuit. So the Spirit is taking an ancient text that would have meant something to the original hearer and repurposing it for the current generation today. Yes. And that's happening right here, right now. 
today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So Jesus talks about rest in Matthew chapter 11. And so when we talk about entering into rest, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 11, uh, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? So how many of you today by show of hands would say you're either tired or you're worried about something? Most of the people in the room. Some of you are worried about raising your hand right now, so add yourself to the list, all right? All you who are weary and burdened, what does Jesus say? Come on, big boy. What am I gonna give you? Rest. What is his offer? His offer is rest for your worry, rest for your anxiety, rest for your burden. He says, bring me your biggest burden. I'm not afraid of it. And I will give you rest. It's a pretty good offer, right? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus talks about entering into rest and how do you enter into rest? You bring your worst day and you give it to him and he gives you your best day in return. He says, hey, listen, you're struggling? Give it to me. I can take it. So here's the thing. If you're the original hearer of this book, what's likely gonna happen to you if you follow Jesus? You're gonna die. You're gonna get your head chopped off. You're gonna get boiled in oil. You're gonna get nailed to a cross. You're gonna get eaten by lions. All the really good stuff, right? So, uh, and, and, and we've gotta realize that the entire Bible is written with a backdrop of suffering. That's why it's so hard to bring the Bible into the 21st century, into 2023, and try to make it make sense. Because we try to take the Bible and we try to put it as a template on top of prosperity and it just doesn't work. Which means probably we've misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus. That following Jesus is gonna cost you something. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you popularity. In some parts of the world, it'll cost you your life even today. And know that it's coming here at some point to follow Jesus is gonna cost you your life. I don't know when that's coming, but uh, the Bible says it's gonna happen. And so the peace and rest that Jesus offers is not in place of suffering. It's in the middle of it. What would it be like to get a cancer diagnosis and to hand that over to Jesus and to walk through that diagnosis in peace? What would it be like to lose a job and in the middle of your job loss, in the middle of your season, instead of turning your back on God, why have you forsaken me? You're walking with this incredible peace. Tyler Cutter, uh, who plays keys here, on Sunday morning, about a month ago, he lost his job, I think on the Friday before the Sunday we were all sitting here and he says, hey, pray for me, I lost my job. And um, he just said it so nonchalantly. He said, I know God's got something for me. And I was so inspired by his peace in the middle of a really hard circumstance. And he starts a new job on Tuesday and it's incredible. God has provided for him. Did you hear that, Tyler? They're clapping for you, buddy. All six of them. Uh, but, but here's the truth of the matter. It's not whether you suffer, it's how you suffer. And, and, and the peace that Jesus gives, it's actually what changes the world. Do you realize that? That how you suffer shows the world how big the God is you serve. And we live in this uh, crazy prosperity place where it's like, well, if God's not blessing me with a million bucks and a Mercedes and a $3 million house on the lake, then something's wrong with me. No. 
You may never be wealthy by the world's standards. You may for the rest of your life live uh, in, a, in a very meager way and God may be glorified more through that than he could with any uh, financial prosperity you could ever attain. So it goes back to this idea of walking in obedience even when it's not easy. Of saying yes even when it's not easy. In, in James chapter one, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that uh, the writer of James, a half-brother of Jesus, he says, hey, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And I think we have an obedience problem, don't we? I think, I think most of us kind of know the right thing to do, we just don't do it. And that's an indictment on the church, that the reason that the church at large is largely impotent to the culture is kind of, we got a bunch of people that may even know the truth, but refuse to live it. And James goes on and he says, anyone who listens to the word, but doesn't do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So here's what I know for sure. Man, we're a selfie culture, right? You look in the mirror plenty. I see the pictures. So here's the thing. For a lot of you this morning, the Holy Spirit is gonna put a mirror in front of you you're gonna see yourself, you're gonna see where it is that you're struggling and so it's held up in front of you, right? And right now for some of you, you're, you're, you're hearing the voice of the Spirit saying, hey, things are not okay. But by the time you hit the door, you'll go away and you'll convince yourself that uh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Ah, it's not that bad, not that big a deal you completely forget what you look like. But look at what he says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be what? Blessed in all they do. The blessed life comes through obedience. It comes through obedience. It comes through holding firmly to the truth of Jesus, holding firmly to the better Moses, the only one who can truly deliver you. Okay, let's keep moving. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So this is a call to community and accountability. See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's calling for the church to be the church. He's calling for, for all of us to not live with an unbelieving heart. Now, he's not saying um, those that don't know Jesus. He's talking about people that know Jesus, but then start believing lies and move away from him. See to it that you don't, you don't be that guy. Brothers and sisters, man, stand firm. Don't develop an unbelieving heart. So we've got to be people of Jesus that are willing to lovingly confront sin and call it out for what it is. Now, for some of you, that makes you squeamish right now. You're, you're um, you know, you're conflict averse. You don't like to have hard conversations. Somebody popped into your head as soon as you heard that and you're like, I'm not talking to them. Some of it because you're afraid of conflict and some of it because you got your own stuff, right? Well, who am I to judge? Have you ever said that? Who am I to judge? But the Bible clearly says, as brothers and sisters, we've got to love each other back to health. When we see someone struggling, we gotta come along beside them. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, listen, speak the truth in love. So what does that mean? It means if you're too eager to tell somebody what's wrong, you don't need to say it. If you're too eager to confront somebody on their sin, that's something about you that's not healthy. We should never be too eager to call somebody out. But at the end of the day, with gentleness and respect and love, we need to come alongside people that are struggling, for people that have developed an unbelieving heart, from people that, that were following but now are choosing a different way.
And so often we start believing lies about God, about ourselves. And he says it here. He says, man, they're transferring their worship from the living God to someone or something else. Paul talks about it in Romans 1.25 when he says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Man, what an indictment on our culture today that this was uh, written in the context of idol worship and guess what? It's still happening today. We tend to worship our career. We worship our kids. We worship our security we worship our addictions. I mean, whatever captures the highest place in your heart, your time, your energy, your treasure, that's what you worship. And so we could have a worship problem here, right? And the symptom is when we begin to see that we have an unbelieving heart. The things I used to pursue, I'm no longer pursuing. Look, he tells us more about it but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another when? Daily. Daily. When is daily? That's every day, y'all. Every day. We, we need to be people of encouragement. People that are uh, calling out the gold in each other and encouraging each other into their highest calling. Amen. Man, what would it be like every single day if you were looking for opportunities to build up the people around you, to live in their Ephesians 2.10 calling, to live in the calling that God has placed on their life, believing for them, maybe when they don't even believe in themselves. And he says, encourage one another daily while it is still called what? Today. So we encourage each other daily when? Today, not tomorrow. Some of you, maybe you're making a list on your phone of people you need to encourage tomorrow. Do it today. Today. Now, when he's talking about today, he's talking about until the return of Jesus. He's saying until the return of Jesus, while it's called today, while we're living in this time, until Jesus returns, we need each other. And we need to encourage each other daily because one day we're all gonna be in a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus restores all things. And we won't need that encouragement anymore because we'll be living in perfection. But guess what? Right now, we broke. We are people of Jesus. We've been made new and we're living in a broken world. We're living in the now and the not yet. We talked about that two weeks ago. Second yes. Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So man, Jesus does not hold your sin against you. In fact, he said he wiped it clean at the cross. And when you say yes, you receive that, you've been made new. Yes. But we still live in a broken world. And until the day Christ returns, we're still living in this now and not yet. And so we get to be a part of the restoration of the world one person at a time. How cool is that? So he says, you need encouragement and accountability to stand strong in Jesus. Why? So sin doesn't calcify in your life. So what does that mean? So, so that you don't get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So do you know what calcification is? It's when it gets really, really hard. So let me describe for you. Um, I'll just draw a circle around myself right now. When sin calcified in my life, here was the number one symptom. I no longer called it sin. When sin calcified in my life, it was no longer sin in my life because it had become such part of who I was that I'm just like, eh, I must be fine. I was a professional Christian and so the things that I was doing and it didn't seem to be affecting anyone and so I convinced myself with a calcification of my heart, a hardness of heart that sin was no longer sin. So what did that look like? Well, I could use profanity whenever I wanted to. I could cuss like a sailor. 
and I could tear out all the pages in my Bible that talked about let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. That's Ephesians 4.29. You should memorize it. Um, uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of us, um, maybe, maybe you got a mouth on you, but you've convinced yourself, well, that's just the, the culture that I live in or the people that I work with and uh, blah, 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 blah. That's not okay. Again, what does that tell you? That could be a calcification of sin in your life where you're no longer willing to call sin, sin because it doesn't accommodate your lifestyle. Um, I used to lie a lot. And not just lie, but manipulation. Like half-truths, steering people the way that I wanted them to go, and I was really, really good at it. And I would do it in the name of, well, you know, this is God's work. When it was really just me building my own kingdom. At times I would drink to excess, um, casually watch porn, objectify women with other guys. Um, I could probably go on, but, but there was no real conviction in my life. I could do these things without really feeling bad at all. And what does that say? This was a calcification of my heart, a calcification of sin in my life where sin was no longer sin just believing that everything was okay. And the Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter four. Um, it's one of the most chilling verses. Look at what it says. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So let me say this very clearly. You need to hear this. For some of you, you need to hear this. Just because you don't feel bad about something doesn't make it okay. Can I say that again? Can I, can, I, can I say it and then you say amen, all right? Just because you don't feel bad about something doesn't make it okay. Amen. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of us, man, we live in that. We create our own truth. God's word clearly will, will stand against something in your life, but because you don't feel bad about it, you just decide it's okay. That is a calcification of sin in your life. And listen, I'm not judging you. I've been there. I've been there, but I love you enough to say, hey, listen, the end does not justify the means. That the truth of God's word is to restore us, to change us for the sake of freedom. He wants to set you free. And I promise you, if sin is calcified in your life, you're not okay. As much as you tell yourself you're okay, and it doesn't matter if you, uh, you know, put Bible verses out on Instagram. That doesn't make it okay. That, it, it, it's not the good outweighs the bad. And again, I'm not here to judge you. You're not here to judge you. God is the judge and he has held up the standard of truth. And guess what? It's an invitation. This is not, this is not condemnation. <laughs> this is an invitation into a better life. Because the faster you allow the chisel of the Holy Spirit to begin to chip away at the calcification of your heart, the faster you get to this place where you're pliable and able to be used fully by God. How cool would that be? Yes. So let me tell you what happened to me. A good friend of mine, Brian Jenkins, called me in late November of 2010. And he told me, hey, you're not okay. I had a long time secret, a two year secret that no one in the world knew. And he had just found it out and he called me and he said, hey man, you're found out. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can never tell my wife, she'll leave me. And you know what he said to me? Hey man, I love you. You tell her I tell. What kind of friend is that? You tell her, I tell. And Brian, one of my closest friends, loved me enough in that moment to hold me accountable to living the way of Jesus because I had come into agreement with a whole lot of stuff that had nothing to do with him. There was a calcification of sin in my life that needed to be chipped away and God used Brian as my circle of community and accountability to restore me back to health. 
I wouldn't be here if he hadn't made that phone call. I don't know where I'd be, but it would not be good. Okay, verse 14. Y'all with me? We're almost done. We have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now, this reminds me of the words of Jesus. Um, He writes seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 2, he's writing to the church at Smyrna. And in verse 10, he says this, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So that's what he's saying here. He's like, hey, listen, hold firm to your original conviction to the very end, to the very end, to the bitter end, to the death. Aren't you grateful that Jesus held firm to his conviction to the very end? Because his conviction was the cross. His conviction was to die on your behalf. His conviction was, listen, on your best day, you don't have what it takes. And so I'm gonna take it to the cross, to the death. And because of that, that crown of thorns became a victor's crown for you, for everyone who says yes. Here, he says, man, hold firmly even to the death. So what he's saying is, man, stick to your guns. Don't let sin creep in and distract or discredit you. Hold firmly to the truth. In verse 15, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, he was talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. Now he's moving forward and he's like, hey, listen, what I meant for them, I actually mean for you. Today, if you hear his voice, Don't harden your heart. Today still means today. For you, today means what? Today. Today. So now he closes this chapter. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness, whom God, and whom God, whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So he closes with an exclamation point. Those who rebelled did not enter into the rest of God. He was faithful, they were unfaithful, and here's what he's reminding the original hearers and wants to remind you today. Holding firmly matters. Holding firmly matters, and those who reject the better Moses, Jesus, missed the rest and peace that he provides. Know this, unbelief and disobedience never produces rest. For some of you, you're using ungodly means to try to fill a God-sized hole in your life. Know this, disobedience, making it up as you go along, stepping outside of the construct that he's given us, it will never lead to peace and rest. And so your only choice is to either choose his way or just run as far as you can from anything that's gonna, uh, you know, convict you in any way. Because the truth of the matter is, he's always pursuing. He's always inviting you into his rest. But, but his rest, it comes in the form of his truth. And so there's some short-term pain for long-term gain. And that's being able to say, hey, listen, sin has calcified in my life and I need the Holy Spirit to come and chip away. Maybe today the number one thing that you could do is you could say, Holy Spirit, I need for you to speak. I need for you to show me 
where it is that sin has calcified in my life? What are the things that I've made okay that just aren't? For some of you, you need to repent. Repent is thinking a new way about your sin. Just think in a new way that it's, it's not okay. But know that the better Moses, Jesus, is offering you a way toward freedom. So there are four things. Number one, the Holy Spirit still points us to Jesus today. He has not changed. He's still pointing us to Jesus. He's still pointing you to the way of Jesus. Whether you choose to follow the way of Jesus, that's on you. But it won't be because the Holy Spirit is not uh, gently driving you toward Jesus. He is unchanging, still revealing, still convicting, still reminding today. Number two, sin calcifies. If you don't deal with it, it just gets hard. And the longer you don't deal with it, the harder it is to uproot out of your life because uh, sin begets sin. The enemy needs a crack over here to wreak havoc over here. And so when we are unwilling to, to deal with our sin as it comes, what happens is it just gets really, really hard. And some of you today need the chisel of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need the jackhammer of the Holy Spirit just to come in and just uproot some junk. But guess what? It's like throwing up. You feel better when it's over. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Here's relief. Uh, number three, we need each other. You weren't meant to do this alone. You weren't meant to live in isolation. Guys, uh, we may be a little worse at this than ladies. You weren't meant to do life alone. We were meant to live in, a, in community. We were meant to live under accountability. Following Jesus is a team sport. Number four, hold tightly to Jesus and you'll find rest. Hold tightly to Jesus and you'll find rest. And in, in John 14, Jesus tells him he's leaving and he says, hey, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. But then he says this, I don't give peace the way the world does. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is in the middle of the hardest moment in your life. Jesus says, hey, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Sometimes he'll heal you. Sometimes he'll change your perspective on pain. But it will always bring him glory. 